Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. If you two are finished comparing sizes. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Here's Smith. Stop to go to the lane. The caliber for the long run. He nails another. What a night for Anthony Tolliver. Right, I know we kind of poke fun at it because there's so many splashes taking place in the NBA right now. And like the Wolves, who made a bunch of splashes last year, don't have a lot of money to spend. This is their roster. And so Anthony Tolliver is... Pretty much the free agent move outside of veterans minimum contracts. And you know what? I I actually like this move, just to be clear, because we got we kind of diverted from this two hours ago, but he's a forty percent three point shooter the last five years. Yep. Which is well above average. He'll be right behind Carl Anthony Towns. He'll basically be their second best three point shooter. So he's he helps fill a need. He's a three point shooter. Uh, he can switch and defend because he's six foot nine. He's uh, he's agile. He's he's not that old. He's thirty three, but he's back end of his prime. He can switch and defend four positions. It's a good role player. It's it's five and a half six million dollars, and he's a fifteen twenty minutes per per game guy. Also, by all accounts, great locker room chemistry guy, teammate, things like that. I'm pretty sure Bealitz is going to explode to some extent somewhere else. Not, not like Wolves. superstar player, but he's going to explode, hit, hit a bunch of three-pointers somewhere. That's going to happen for sure. Um, and adding Anthony Tolliver doesn't all of a sudden put this team in contention with the Rockets or the Warriors or even the LeBron James yeah. Lakers necessarily. So, so T- Tolliver played here from 2010 to 2012, and it sounds like has reinvented his game, especially the three-point shooting aspect of it since then. Um it doesn't excite me, but I'm I'm just not surprised. Yeah, it's the, the, the we, Biel- we want three and D guys, and that's yeah. what, that's what. They and the Biel- the Bielitsa thing only annoys me because based on the, the history of this franchise, and and when he when Butler got hurt and Bielitsa played and got confidence, he was pretty good for a stretch there. Mm-hmm. So the Bielitsa thing annoys me because you've got this trepidation that he's going to leave here and he's going to go to a team like the Jazz and he's going to come off the bench and be be successful. Um. Unfortunately, though, for the Wild and Wolves, you know what? July first, th- this time around, you're cat, you're you're cash strapped. So you yeah. don't, you just don't have. So there was never going to be this this magical free agent move where you said, "Oh my God, I didn't know that, that they had the ability to make that move." Um, so, am I excited about it? Not really, but I'm also not not surprised because if you looked at the salary cap situations for both these teams going into July first. They were pretty much up against it. Yeah, I think, and I, and I don't buy this notion that, hey, Derrick Rose isn't going to eat into Tyus Jones' playing time. Yeah, yes, he will. 
Okay, and I and I'd love to see Tyus Jones for 15, 20 minutes a night on a regular basis because I think he could be a really good backup point guard, and maybe even at some point, maybe he's more than that. But I so the thing that bothers me the most, whether it's swapping Tyus Jones minutes for Derrick Rose or Nemanja Bjelica for an Anthony Tolliver, you're getting older. I mean, you're getting a decade and a half older with with those two moves specifically combined. Uh, it's just like you're, you lack coaching creativity. Nemanja Bjelica is far more talented than Anthony Tolliver. Nemanja Bjelica has a chance if you were to if, if he goes to a team and he plays 35 minutes a night or something in a starting role. Is he a superstar? No. Could he be 12 to 16 points, a bunch of three pointers, grab he's, rebounds, and handle the ball once in a while? Yes. 30ish, right? Is that correct? On he's 30. Bjelica, yeah. He's okay. So you're actually it's, it's so, you're gaining three years right. with Tolliver, and then you're gaining another like seven years with Derrick Rose. It's about a decade older in terms of minutes that you're swapping out. So. Dukes and I discussed this on, on the show last week, and he, here's the thing that sort of bugs me about this entire thing, and, and a cap. And we, we asked Bobby Marks this question as well, and he seemed to insinuate. I said, did these teams, so when the Gorgie deal got signed, what did the Wolves know about where the cap was going to go from there? Because it's it's basically flat, it's not flat, but it's not going up much this year. It's not going to, but it will take an increase next year. And Bobby Marks told us, the salary cap guy from ESPN, he said they had a very good idea about where things would stand. And so I'm a little bit bothered by the fact that the Gorgie contract just got thrown out as far as, because at the time we all said, oh, that's great, that's great. And my feeling is if the Wolves didn't know, then it's okay, that's too bad. But if you did have have cap guys who did have an idea about where the cap was going, it is too bad that you're that you're strapped up against the cap because you gave Gorgie a contract that at the time seemed very good, but you knew down the road in a couple of years would not be yeah. would not be good for your, your franchise. So that bothers me a bit. Yeah, I think they're one of their main roster construction problems is they have multi year big deals for at least two players who just aren't worth tying up. Andrew Wiggins for for the I mean they could have gone to they could have gone qualifying offer and restricted free agency for Wiggins and paid far less than twenty five to thirty million dollars a year mm-hmm. and, and and maybe it winds up being fifteen million dollars a year eighteen million dollars a year and it's it's now it's easier to move the contract because teams aren't going to be as cash strapped if they pick him up and on Gorgie I don't know he's a good player. I, is he worth in, that much? In, in today's NBA, he doesn't fit as well as he did maybe four years ago, even. Right. Um, so, yeah, that, that and, and then the Jeff Teague, you're paying $20 million for the 14th best point guard in the NBA, too, with Jeff Teague. Could you, could you, I'm not saying Tyus Jones is as good as Jeff Teague, but could you pay Tyus Jones league minimum or, or his first round, late first round draft pick rookie contract? Yep. Could you pay him whatever, $15 million less than Teague? And then reallocate that money to something else. I mean, there's just a lot of wasted spending compared to, like, if you if you rank well, Jeff T compared to all the other point guards, Andrew Wiggins compared to all the other wing players, and then Gorgie Jang compared to all the other big men, and then what you're paying those guys. Eh, here's three. Con- that's a lot of excess. The three contracts that bug me right now are Andrew one, Gorgie two, and Tajus. As Do- as Doogie told us, why did why did you have to get sort of scared about it and go to Taj with a contract that was basically going to blow the, the lid off of any other contract he was about to receive? Yeah. He's a ni- he's a very nice veteran player, but my gosh, get a hold of where, where the market is at for a guy like for that. Sure. Just because you like him, 
It's, yeah, it's a, there's a disconnect there somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, 651-646-8255. We're talking Wolves makeup and roster. Boogie Cousins signing for the mid-level exception with the Golden State Warriors. Randy in Oakland. Realistic Randy. Go ahead, man. As you said, Phil, I am from Oakland. I am from <laughs> the Bay Area. I see this stuff, okay? I hate what the league has become in the NBA today. And for the record... I defended Kevin Durant in his decision two years ago to go to the Warriors because, and I know we can go back and forth on this, I blame LeBron for starting this prime free agency super, uh, super team crap back in 2010 with joining with a former finals MVP and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, two of the top 15 players in the NBA at the time. I actually defended Kevin Durant. But my God, this is just overkill now. If you thought that there was no reason to watch before, there's really, really no reason to watch now. Like, I love the sport of basketball, but think about this. Every other sport has some sort of balance. Like the NFL, I know everyone hates the Patriots, like, oh, they're in the Super Bowl all the time, but there's still a bunch of teams that could legitimately win the Super Bowl in the NFL next season. Baseball, hockey, there's at least a balance in the other sport. With basketball, there's just no balance, and it's, especially after last year in the Western Conference Finals, it was like, oh, Houston, maybe they're starting to figure something out. This is going to be interesting. What are they going to build on? Uh, the other day, LeBron going to the Lakers, you weren't expecting him to beat Golden State. But it's like, oh, okay, the league is starting to get interesting. And then the Warriors just came in and deflated everything. It was just such a buzzkill that I just don't see the point of watching. I'll watch my Dallas Mavericks. I'm a Mavericks fan, so I love the sport of basketball. I'll watch here and there, but – my God, the, the interest that I did have, it is so much lower than what it was. I promise you, my black self, I'm going to start watching lacrosse. I'll start watching BMX instead. I'll take up some Oh, hockey. come on. Watch watch some you're going to watch, watch some hockey, lacrosse. Randy. You're going to watch lacrosse over LeBron? Come on, Randy. I, I am going to start learning the greatest lacrosse players in the world, and I'm going to start learning all the, the – Words like you know how they use in soccer was it touch on the ball and stuff. I don't know the, the different phrases and stuff they use in lacrosse. I'm going to learn it. BMX. I don't care. Uh, I don't know what is it. Uh, skateboarding. All that stuff. I don't give a damn. The NBA needs to fix fix this because you've got a team now where their starting five is basically the starting five of the Western of uh, the Western All. What's the fix, Randy? Has that. Hmm? What's the fix? Well, part of it you can blame the GMs because I saw the, the reports that you know Boogie Cousins wasn't receiving that many offers, and I'm like, you guys are idiots because if that's true, and I know that there's been questions on Boogie Cousins and his attitude problem. I watch Boogie all the time. I loved him in Sacramento, even though he was just a pain in the ass, but I really thought that he turned a corner in New Orleans. But I, I just don't know. I think GMs are the start of it. But at the end of the day, also you're paying all these other players just stupid loads of contracts like Tristan Thompson and, and uh, Chandler Parsons. They're getting stupid amounts of money to where it's just like, you know what, screw it. You're basically capping yourself out of even possibly going after any legitimate stars because you're throwing money at anybody. I think it starts with the GMs, but you can't stop the players from doing what they want to do. But, I mean, oh, my Lord, David Stern, you – stop Chris Paul from going to the Lakers, and I get this is a free agency signing. I just wish Adam Silver 
could just veto this signing and say, damn it, we are not letting you go to the Golden State Warriors. You need to go somewhere else. Because you've got three starters on that team now that legitimately could carry their own team with Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. I know Boogie Cousins has his faults, but him too. I just think, and I love the sport of basketball, this has just gotten to a point where it's like, I understand before when fans were saying, I don't care to watch now. I really understand for those that say, wow, there's really no point of watching anymore. Yeah, realistic Randy, thank you. We love when he calls in. He's one of our best callers. I get it. It's funny, though, in this era of player movement and dynasties and the Warriors, and then and then before that it was the Heat, it is funny how the NBA continues to rise in terms of popularity on by everything measurable. The, the finals ratings only took a slight dip, a slight dip, because it became inevitable after Golden State won game one. Like, this isn't going to be a, a series. But the the TV ratings are holding steady. Social media, the NBA laps the other leagues. They lap the NFL. They have, I want to say they have like 15 million more followers combined on Twitter and Instagram than the NFL does. Yep. So people continue to flock and people continue to be interested even if 27 teams have no legitimate chance to win the championship. There are other things to be interested in. And let's quit let's quit acting like all these other regular seasons are compelling across sports and the NBA's regular season is the only one. The NFL has a very compelling regular season because it's once a week, it's appointment viewing, there's 16 games, and, and crazy things can happen. But Major League Baseball's regular season isn't compelling. The NHL's regular season isn't compelling. College basketball is unwatchable in the regular season for the most part. So, it's I mean, it's well, the NBA regular season, what's the point? Okay, like... Welcome to all the other regular seasons. The, People still watch. The two things with, with Randy's call to me that stood out that the league absolutely loves, one, the passion. Like, you're not passionate. You don't call in and threaten unless you, you're passionate about that sport and those teams. And so so he's kidding when, when he says that, that he's going to start to watch lacrosse. By the way, Duke dominates truly, lacrosse, but right? He, so but I think truly, you're gonna, not going to find parody in lacrosse either. But but Randy is going to come back and watch the NBA. And also, he, he's a Mavs fan. So guess what? The Mavs are going to be improved. You think when the Mavs win... F- Five consecutive in November or December that he's going to check out? Of course not. I'll, I'll so, bet. I'll bet you the Mavs don't win five consecutive in the Western Conference this year, unless they. Well, but they might play unless they have five straight Eastern Conference well. games but, that they win. But the, but the thing about this is, is this goes back to what I keep saying: is the league loves this. People are passionate about this. This is the interest. If the league was bland and and the star team or or the top team was good but didn't have stars. Guess what? People don't call. This, the July 1st period where guys start to agree to deals and and the fact that people watch this programming constantly, the league's got you. The main point I did agree with, I, th- I thought when he said blame the GMs, I thought he was going to go on the path of like blame the Golden State Warriors front office. No, 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 no. But but where he did go, and I agree with it, is if if Boogie Cousins and these reports are correct that like only two teams were going to give him $5 million, I find that really hard to believe. Really hard to believe. You're telling me that if the Timberwolves knew that Boogie Cousins was willing to come play for them, that they wouldn't have given him $5 million to come? I, I, that's what he said. Like there, there had to have been 10 teams that would have given him a shot. He's title hunting in a transition year. Yeah. And th- whatever. Like that's his own choice. If I'm him and I'm choosing between Golden State and Boston and I'm a competitive guy and I don't want to just leech off of this dynasty that's already evolved, 
I'd go sign with Boston, and I would go do my rehab in Boston. So it bothers me more that Boogie Cousins has chosen to just jump on top of this dynasty Cousins. and say, oh, I'll just steal a ring real quick while I get yeah, my body right for a max contract a somewhere bit, else next summer. Ton, probably. So, I don't know. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. And you know what they need? Tweaks. 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 On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Gentlemen, the moment has finally arrived. On 1500 ESPN. The left center field. It is back. And gone. A grand slam for Robbie Grossman. 3-0 the count. It's ball four. And it's the ball game. It's a walk-off walk. The sixth walk-off of the year. The Brewers win. They come back. And beat the twins. I think you imagine the frustration of, uh, you know, fighting and playing a good game for the most part and having a chance there. Um, you know, you put a you put a young kid in a tough spot, bringing him in there, um, second appearance and out of his routine of starting. There's not a lot of uh, margin of error there. Nine walk-off defeats for your twins now. Yeah. Nine. They find new ways to lose. This, I believe. Of the nine, I think that this was the first time that they actually walked themselves off with a walk. So congratulations wow. on that. Now, I, I think we should start to play to a tic-tac-toe or uh, not tic-tac-toe. We should do like twins walk-off bingo. <laughs> we could. Is there, has there been a balk-off yet for the twins? Because they could check that one off. There's been home runs. Oh, certainly. Been a single we've had. Have we had a wild pitch walk-off yet? Do we know? I think we might have, actually. With Mitch catching, odds are high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it hasn't happened yet, then it will happen. there's still plenty of time left in the season here. Still three months to go. Um, there, there was some controversy in Paul Molitor's decision-making that Matt, he was saving Matt Belial for a potential save situation. Yeah. And so my, my first knee-jerk thought was, kind of thinking back to the Belial of the second half last year, well, why would you save the better reliever for a situation that might not happen. And then I realized he's... Yeah, it's Matt Blau. I mean... Yeah, don't sweat that one. He has one. a nine three nine ERA with the Twins. He's a good clubhouse guy, Phil. That's what he is. And I think he probably has a stretch in him, like like he pitched last year, <laughs> but like it doesn't matter anymore. Or what? Oh, a stretch in him. Okay, have good, good pitching. Uh, the other news... Byron Buxton was... Uh, this is fairly predictable because he was hitting a buck fifty for AAA Rochester, but he was officially... Optioned, so he's going to stay in Rochester. He's on a rehab assignment. He's going to stay in Rochester. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's batting. Let's see here. Let me pull up this number. He did hit a leadoff home run last night. I've got so it right here, friend, But he's batting two hundred now. He's up to the Mendoza line, and uh, and has seventeen strikeouts to just three walks drawn in thirteen games. Fifty four plate appearances. He's striking out way too much. Yeah, for my money, anyways. So you you asked question on the Monday show about I I think you I think with uh, Derek talking to us you you characterized this or said it's a disaster, and I thought about that, and here's my answer: the 2018 Twins season will be a major disappointment if Buxton and Snow get their act together. And come back in 2019, and and this turned out to be a blip. This improved them. Okay. Like it'll be so a, it, it'll be it'll have been a disappointment. There's there's no question that this this year I think this is, a is already a disappointment. No, no, no. But I'm but it will be an unmitigated disaster if 2018 becomes the year that they busted. So oh, I see if what you're so if Sano and Buxton 
are busts. If 2018, they've struggled before, or certainly Byron has. But if we look back and say 2018, Byron and Miguel were terrible, and the team was disappointing, but those two came back and, and in 2019 started to play well, we say 2018 is a disappointment. If if we look back on 2018 and say, my God, that was the year that two of the top prospects this organization has ever had completely fell off the map, then this season becomes a disaster. I mean, it's I think the fact that they've already hit the panic, and let's let's not sugarcoat it, they've hit the panic button on the two most important young players. Let's say young position players, because Jose Barrios is still in that mix for, for pitching. But they've hit the panic button, and it's not like... I think early on in a guy's career, you get called up and you're young and you get sent down and it's there's a, there's a natural back and forth sometimes. Mike Trout gets promoted for the first time and hits a buck seventy and then gets sent back down and then for him it clicked the second time. Torrey Hunter, okay, we're gonna bounce up and down maybe a couple times and then it clicks. Byron Buxton first emerged into the big leagues in 2015. This is his fourth partial season in the majors. What's it all? And he's yeah. back in the minor leagues. Yep. He's back hitting 200 in a small sample, but he's hitting 200 in AAA. Miguel Sano has been up for, this is now his fourth major league season. Same thing as Byron Buxton. And he's, he's done sing- a single A. Single A still. I mean, that is like... Trying the, the, to lose weight. So just like from that perspective, let's take away all of the attachment we've had to these guys following. One. If you just swooped in from a different market and said, what's the percent chance both those guys thrive for the rest of their careers? That they're going to come up later this year or start the year in 2019, now they're in their mid-20s age-wise, knowing what you know about their rocky paths, especially Buxton's rocky path as a hitter, what's the percent chance that both these guys pan out to be cornerstones for your franchise? It ain't very high. That's the reality. It's not. It ain't 90%, right? No. Like they could still be and there's contributors a- or... or Guys who are in, like Buxton could still bat ninth, and there's a and chance bat two twenty or something and play Gold Glove defense. There is a legitimate chance right now that they are both complete busts. That they are now. Now, why they would be bust to me are different because Sano's got the ability. Uh, the the key is trying to get through to him to use it and to lose weight. In Buxton's case, defensively, he's a magician, and, and I think he works hard. I flat out don't know if he can hit, but. If in 10 years or five years from now, we're talking about these two as busts, it's two of the biggest sports disasters in this town. Mm -hmm. It's two. These weren't nice players. These are two guys that you basically said they have the potential to be all-star, perennial all-stars, MVP candidates, and carry your franchise. For the record, I'm much more out on Snow than I am on Buxton. Like I'm not, I'm not totally done with either of them. I'm getting really close on Snow. And if somebody wanted to offer anything in a trade that was substantive, I would take the trade. I would not trade Byron Buxton right now because this is as low as it can get for his value. And I just think the position he plays, the value he has defensively, and how low the bar is for what he has to do offensively to be a guy that you could rely on for like the next six years. So I'm not completely selling all my Byron Buxton stock. I'm really close on Miguel Sano. And so I I do differentiate those. I don't put them in the exact same bin. I'll give them both uh, time again, but we're just about done. We're just about done. And if Buxton, Buxton's now get, getting to, to an age two, and and the, he's still twenty four. Like it's yeah, but twenty eight would be a really he, big red flag age. Twenty four is not as much. But he he is also ne- nearing the point where you say there has to be some some consistent production. And I just go back to the fact that he 
lapses in, into his problems at the plate every year for extended periods of time. And he, I really believed and got fooled again that, that the second half of last year was different now and that he had turned a corner. And this isn't even a conversation about, I thought he, he was going to come back and hit 310 or something. This was a, this is a conversation of, I thought he turned a corner to come back and, and hit 260 and steal a bunch of bases and defensively be great. Um, but it's funny too, because I'm not out on the twins. I still think that the twins have enough players coming up that I'm, that I don't think it's going, I don't think it's going to doom the franchise, but it is remarkable that if we end up talking about these two being busts, what that does to change the perception of things. Yeah. Uh, Jason Stark knows a lot about baseball. To recap the walk-offs first, boys, yeah, uh, I, nice. I found on our website, after the eighth walk-off loss, Wetmore kind of recapped all the eight. Okay. 1500ESPN.com, and then Pat also just hotlined me to talk about the second walk-off loss, which was April 20th in Tampa. Okay. Uh, we didn't have a wild pitch walk-off, by the way, of our nine, but we did have the Zach Duke missing first base walk-off. His foot was too small. First and second base, two outs, bottom of the 11th, Denard Span with a ground ball to first, Maurer makes a dive. Driving stop, flips to Duke, who can't find the base, runner right. on second, sprints all the way around, beats the throw home. So we've had walk-off homers, we've had walk-off walks, walk-off too small of feet to find first base. <laughs> Missed the base with the small feet, the problem. And three months to go to fill out the bingo card. Very impressive. Do we have a walk-off catcher's interference? I think that's your... Mitch uh, can do that, too. That's a big square to hit right there. He can handle it, yeah. Always count on Mitch. Uh, Jason Stark will join us next. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. Coffee break. Gotta hurry if we want to get a seat. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. I'm ready! Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, now, with MLB Network contributor and senior baseball writer with The Athletic, Jason Stark. Brought to you by Grundhofer's Old Fashioned Meats. Bring the excitement of Grundhofer's to your next cookout. Actually, we should have we texted Jason earlier on this. The twins, Jason. By the way, uh, we definitely want to talk about your conversation with Joe Madden. So we'll get to that here in a couple minutes. You can yeah, find Jason Stark on The Athletic. So the twins were walked off for the ninth time last night. Uh, this was a walk-off walk issued. By our calculation, if we have a Twins walk-off loss bingo board, they've had walk-off home runs against them, and uh, Patrick Ricey just called in to tell us that, to remind us, the second walk-off loss was actually Zach Duke missing first base with his foot on a pitcher fielding incident. So they've I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's uh, if there's ever been like a record for most creative ways to get walked off throughout the course of a season, but the Twins are working on it, Jason. Wow, I'll have to look at that, man. That's a that's a hard one to research, but I like that idea of the walk off bingo board. Yeah, it could really this could be a money making opportunity for you guys. There could be a balk in there. That's happened before. Oh, Hit by pitch happens. Once wild in a while. pitches. You could have pass yeah. balls. They can find all ways to lose. Jason, how about Stark. has there ever been a catcher's interference? Off the top of your head, walk off. I don't recall one. We, we had a, we had one leading off a game last week. I don't remember that either. Was it Jacoby Ellsbury, the king of? <laughs> well, he hasn't been participating this year, so he has not been involved in any this year. Yeah. Hey, J- Jason, what, what's your expectation as far as uh, Twins trades go? Uh, do, do you expect them to uh, to uh, move Escobar? And how soon do you expect trading to start? Because I think we're I think baseball's now evolved to where where teams that, that are purposely dumping or not, but are certainly struggling, are trying to make trades 
prior to uh, to the last week of July? It, you, know, you know, Jed, I'm really just getting started on this, and so I haven't looked into the twins specifically. I know that really until the last week or 10 days, they were kind of in wait-and-see mode, trying to figure out what was happening in their division, what was happening with their team, if they'd ever get healthy. Now all of a sudden you look up, it's, they're 10 out in the division, they're 16 out in the wild card. Uh, it, it's pretty clear that they, you know, if, if you look at the trading deadline as an opportunity, of either a buying or a selling opportunity, it's probably, in their case, more of a selling opportunity. But it's it, it's complicated. And I, I think Escobar, to me, is the most interesting guy they could put out there. Um, you know, he... He gives you versatility, and there are other, you you know, versatility type rentals out there. Uh, Whit Murrayfield may or may not be. Royals have sent mixed signals on him. Josh Harrison of the Pirates will be out there. Escobar's better player than him at this point. Uh, if you think of him as a third base rental, then he's in that Mustakas Beltre mode, and then Machado is a phenomenon all to himself, but. Um, guys who are leading the league in extra base hits, <laughs> I would think have value, yeah. even as rentals. And, it's, and you add in the versatility, I think of everybody they can put out there, he's the most valuable. We're trying to figure out, too, here, we just talked about this last segment, the two most important young position players in the franchise are both in their mid-20s. Buxton's 24, Miguel Sano is he 25 now, somewhere in that same age range. Uh, they both have over a thousand career plate appearances in the big leagues. They've both been in the big leagues for chunks of four different seasons. One of them's in A ball, as we've talked about. The other one, Buxton, was just optioned to AAA. He was in the middle of a rehab assignment, and they said it ain't good enough. You're going to stay in AAA. He's batting 200 right now for AAA Rochester. Is there a certain point where your red flag raises up age-wise or plate appearances? I mean, we're trying to figure out like what's the percent chance that both of these guys are going to snap out of it and become cornerstone players, or is it time to start moving off of them? You know, I, I think every situation is different. I don't think that there's a magical age or a magical number of at-bats. And you've got circumstances involved in both of them. Byron Buxton, you're not even close to saying, all right, this isn't happening, let's move on. I, there's, there's been some... There's been too many rides on the roller coaster for too many different reasons, but there have been enough stretches where he was that guy that you drafted him to be that it's still worth waiting. And Sano, we we talked about him a couple weeks ago. I, I think you, just me judging from the outside, they would be closer to saying enough already with him. But this year in particular... It comes a year after he made the All-Star team. Mm-hmm. Um, it has there, There's definite ways to explain this physically. Um, I, I think when he returns, it will be a big stretch in terms of judging where he is and what he is. But and the reason he's in Ford Myers now is to hit the reset button. Yeah. And let's see what happens after he does that, gets himself in shape, gets healthy, and then returns. So, Jason, do you think, 
It concerns baseball people more when, when a guy's like Buxton and he keeps getting chances and he clearly works really hard and just struggles at the plate time and time again. Or do, does it concern them more with a guy like Miguel who clearly has the abilities and, and yet the problems are things like like weight and and basically they don't go to his ability to hit. It goes to, to the ability to become a professional. I think that's always a bigger worry. Um, you know, and, and one of the reasons it's a worry is suppose you trade him and the light bulb goes on. Suppose you trade him and he's in a different environment and he's surrounded by, uh, I don't know, I, we, we could pick a, a number of teams, um, just a, a culture that's all about winning and professionalism and veteran players who who somehow connect with him in a way that it all comes together, right? And now he's Big Poppy Part 2, 2-0. Um, that, that, you never want to trade that guy and have that happen. Um, Buxton, you're just, you know, it's never been harder to hit. I've said this 50 times to you guys. There's just so much information and... Players are who have weaknesses and even strengths. Once tendencies become clear, all of those things are exploited to the point where it's it's a game of constant adjustment. And the stuff that got you to the big leagues no longer works, and that's confusing to a lot of players. I think Byron Buxton fits into that category. Yeah, Jason Stark. You can find him on theAthletic.com/slash/MLB, and also. He does a regular series on Stadium TV, 13 episodes in, and uh, and episode 14 is coming out this week. It's uh, long-form interviews with notable baseball figures, and you sat down with Joe Madden. I, so I, I've been a Cubs fan, and I, I enjoy Joe Madden. I love long-form Joe Madden conversations. I don't know yeah. if you, he was on, with, uh, on David Axelrod's podcast like last summer, I want to say. And where you can really flush stuff out for 30 minutes, 60 minutes with him, and, and he gets going. So what can you tell us about this episode, and maybe you can give us a little sneak peek or a, or an anecdote from your conversation yeah, with Joe Madden. I, absolutely. Um, uh, that one premieres tonight at 6 Minnesota time cool. on Stadium TV, on WatchStadium.com. If you have a stadium app on your mobile device or your Apple TV or your Roku, it, it's, it's not that hard to find. And let's just put it this way. Uh, the first 13 episodes of Baseball Stories were 30-minute episodes. This one's an hour. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think the reason for that is? <laughs> Joe had some thoughts. And let me tell you the, the, like the coolest part of this, the um, part that I'd never personally experienced, probably with any manager, but especially a guy like Joe. He brought his lineup cards from the previous three games. And he walked me through all the stuff that's on them. He, uh, he, there's so much stuff going on on Joe Madden's lineup cards. There are um, little tributes to people he's lost in his life, friends, family, um, people he's played with and worked with who had a profound influence on him. And you know, he, he jots their initials on the card. He'll explain why. He has, you know, a bunch of inspirational sayings that he 
explains what they are. They're on his lineup card every night. And then he's got all this stuff, all this info that's color-coded and broken down into different categories, and all of that's on there. He walks us through his lineup card, and you, you see all the different levels of the man and all the different stuff he uses to make decisions as he goes through a game. Um, I can't tell you how fascinating it was. Yeah, and it, the easiest way that i found, if you if everyone has a Facebook account, facebook.com slash watchstadium, and you can always find yeah. on, de, on demand uh, Jason Stark with these conversations. Uh, we always know you bring trivia to the show, and uh, we're doing okay this season. We bring music. We have pretty, we bring good, pretty good trivia batting average. <laughs> Let's see what kind of fastball Jason's going to bring us today. <laughs> Yeah, if the walk-off bingo thing hits, we can come up with some music for that, too, right? Exactly. Uh, This is a new-age trivia question. Never asked one like this. Um, Mike Trout, look at your baseball reference leaderboard, is closing in on having a seven-win season already, as judged by wins above replacement. It's the 3rd of July. Over the last 25 full seasons, only two Twins position players have had a seven-win season, according to baseball reference. So that's 7.0 or greater. Is this too tough? No. How, 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 how many seasons? Right. Going back to when? Two over the last 25? 25 years. It goes back to 93. Okay. Joe Maurer, 2009, is one of them. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you if you finish with seven wins above replacement in a full season, you're one. You're always going to be one of the top like five players in baseball. He's there before the All Star break, like uh, <laughs> all right, like Jason just said. So the second exactly. one, exactly. Hmm. Going back to '93. So uh, oh, it might be Chucky Knobloch in '97. He went pretty crazy one of those be, years uh, and batted like three forty. Justin's and, big year, Morneau's big year. I feel like Morno was like a like a six war. I mean, season you have a chance of actually knowing this. Okay, okay. Um, so you say Knobloch? I'm trying to think of other ones. Like Molitor didn't play the the field. It's got to be so. Think of think of high on base, high slugging, and and positional value. Correct. You get positional value. So catchers, center fielders. The Twins haven't had a lot of shortstop action. Mm-mm. But like Chuck Knobloch, I went unless you, you said ninety four. I'm going to say Morno didn't quite get to seven okay. in his that MVP my, year. That would be mine. So, which was the that was there. the controversy that other players had higher wins above replacement numbers, but he had the bat the bat okay. like the batting average RBIs. I'm going to say Chuck Knobloch. Let's do it. Ninety seven or ninety six. That, that is excellent work. Way to go! In fact, the answer. Bobby. He, he had the most. Uh, he had the most wins above replacement of anybody in this period. Eight, he had an 8-7 wow. in 1996. He was a nine-win player. Whoa. I mean, he had almost a 450 on base. And then 10 right. minutes later, he's standing in left field for the Royals and the Yankees yeah. getting batteries and hot dogs thrown at him. Yeah. <laughs> what an odd duck he turned out to be, Jason Stark. What an odd guy. And, uh, you know, um, I was shocked by this, but Justin Morneau never even had a six-win season. Yeah. Like, the close calls are uh, Brian Dozier. Corey Kosky, yeah. guys like that. And then Kirby's last big year was 92, so he just fell That's, outside this. Okay. Yeah. And some sometimes, I mean, you really do, and in, in, not to get into the how the sausage is made here because it will make all of our heads explode, but wins above replacement includes 
if you play a tougher position, you you start further ahead in so the race. First base, you don't get as much credit. No, because you're more replaceable. Right. Like yeah. it's just like if That's you, right. if you there, a, there is a positional adjustment when they determine your defensive value. Mm. Yep. The fact it's that you're able to play unfair. catcher matters. Yeah, but you're exactly right. A catcher and a second baseman have built-in advantages that a first baseman doesn't have. You got to really be great as a first baseman to lead the league in war. Fine work, Phil Mackey. How how about that, Jason Stark, huh? Play the music. There it is. Yeah, play play more music. We'll we'll play you off, Jason. Play Jason out. All right. All right. Go catch his stadium stories tonight, 6 o'clock Central Time. We'll talk to you next week, Jason. See you, Jason. Beautiful. See you guys. Have a good fourth. You too. Enjoy. Yep. That was fun. Wow. That was good. Oh, you carried the us The sabermetric knowledge is coming handy there. after. You knew Morneau didn't have that high of one? Wow, I'm impressed. Yeah, but I'm going to light a cigarette. Phil Mackey, Judd Zogad. Like, this is quality entertainment. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Hey, your Minnesota United tickets. Hey, they're playing tomorrow, a little 4th of July match. It's a 6 o'clock start. You can get those tickets, mnufc.com. Or you can just listen to the game here, 1500 ESPN. That would work, too. You could do that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Jason was awesome, as, as usual. Jason Stark, you can find him uh, every Tuesday on our show. Isn't it funny, though, he brings that new age wins above replacement trivia question? <laughs> yeah. The I way that... I don't know about that stuff. Younger, even though there aren't that many younger baseball fans anymore, but younger baseball fans who are a little bit more into the fan graphs, sabermetric stuff... Like I, I don't know batting averages very much anymore because those aren't as relevant in today's game. Yep. They were when I was a kid. Yep. Batting titles were much more coveted, right? Now it's can you get on base and hit for power? And 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 you could you could list off career batting averages. Like I remember when when Ken Griffey Jr. had a three oh eight career batting average and that was part of commercials and uh but now if you're a new age baseball fan I'm much more likely to be able to tell you that five years ago, Ben Zobrist had a six and a half war out of nowhere as this versatile, you know, five position guy with the Rays. That there are new baseball fans, uh, I, as weird I don't as approve, it is, like myself, I don't this stuff. Uh-uh. That, that, know, that, that know what a wins above replacement number is Give for me a baseball player. baseball cards and average and home runs. And I like those things too. Like those are classic Give me all the things. traditional stats and a piece of gum. Just saying. With my baseball cards. It's, uh, well, I was amazed that that you knew that Morneau in his MVP year didn't have a great war. That was a big controversy. I, I don't remember it at all, and because it was, I, I, that was pretty early in the the sabermetrics available to the public. So when I say controversial, I mean among the blogger geeks like myself like, at the time. Yeah, yeah, like, well, Justin Morneau's war is lower than Jacoby. I think Jacoby Ellsbury actually had the best wins above replacement number that year. He stole a bunch of bases. I'm pretty sure that was Jacoby Ellsbury's huge season where he hit a bunch of home so, runs. So and, positions that have a head start on war are catcher, shortstop, I would guess. Yep, center field. Yep. So catcher, shortstop, center field. And then a level down from that would be third base, second base. And then I believe left field, right field, first base are a level down from that. And then DH. So, Got it. Okay. And, and that's, that's how it should be because if, if you're a designated hitter versus a shortstop. Of course. Obviously, the fact that you can even put a glove on and play that position, there's value there. Mm-hmm. If you can just go over there, if you if you're a lead singer of a band and the bass player is like vocally tone deaf or something, like you're more valuable because you can get on, you can get out in front and get on a microphone. If you can squat behind the plate and it's not a train wreck, you're more valuable than a designated hitter. Unless that DH 
is David Ortiz and hits 500 home runs. So, so war in a band would be lead guitar singer would be lead, the top lead, war. Lead singer would be the most valuable. Okay, front man, yeah. front man, yep, front man. And then I don't know, like beyond that, like, probably where would the like drummer be? Lead guitar and and maybe drummer. Like is. The drummer first base, or is it Bass player valuable? would be the first baseman, right? Okay. No offense, like you need a good bass player. No, that's player. fine. No, I'm serious about this. Yeah. So drummer would be above bass player. Yeah, uh, oh, for sure. Lead guitar, e- e- even if that person didn't um, didn't sing lead vocals, would be the second to the lead singer. So Yeah, you need somebody that can shred. No, Eduardo, Eduardo, guitar no, Eduardo would be where? Eduardo Escobar this year. He can play a little. He can. Well, he can yeah, give oh, you, versatility. He'll give you a guitar solo. He'll sing a little bit. Versatility. He is might key. even go grab a drumstick. You know, go back oh, there. It's huge. Go next to Tico Torres and <laughs> start banging the drums. Yeah. Rhythm guitar would be where. Because rhythm guitar is valuable. Is that like third base? Yeah, I think that's, that's like fair. pretty valuable. That's but fair. Now, what would what would DH be? Is like the tambourine guy who comes out yes. once every three songs, and like a backup singer or something. Tambourine guy's good. No, yeah, I think just... tambourine guy is like your long reliever. <laughs> like once every ten songs. Yes. I, oh, hey, he's back. We need a triangle for this one and a tambourine. But I'm really we just the... need to mop up a track five on our third disc here. But I'm really good on the tambourine. You guys don't get it. <laughs> I got cow, a lot of value. Cowbell I'm a people too. person, damn it. I can play cowbell too. What are you? What are you doing? But that's where that's where baseball right. that's where that's where front offices if if you go to a any front office guy right now in baseball any GM or president of baseball ops and say all right pick your favorite number to evaluate a player they're not going to tell you RBIs or average anymore sure. they're more likely to tell you whatever their in-house version of WAR is what what player for for years and years what player did we think was was fantastic and WAR came along and and it didn't it didn't destroy that player but dragged their worth and the value of the statistical community down Jermaine Dye remember that guy of course 30 home runs every Followed year the ball off his leg one year and broke his leg yeah. and then remember when Jermaine Dye couldn't get a job before the 2010 season yeah. and Orlando Hudson in the twins clubhouse called it like collusion and racism he's like well Jermaine Dye can't get a job <laughs> no, I don't but uh like and then he named some pitcher that got a job who was white I think he said Jared Washburn got a job you tell me why and I was like I think it's just because Jermaine Dye is a DH who wants 10 million dollars a year and wants to play left field. Like I, I don't think I don't think it's race Races. driven. But <laughs> but if you look, Jermaine Dye gave back twenty or thirty runs per year because he was a terrible outfielder oh, that at the bad? end. Yeah, it was terrible. Oh wow, he was a, he was a, a totem pole just sitting in the outfield with a glove on it. And then he would make up for it somewhat offensively. But when you put him out in the outfield, he gives back twenty or thirty runs every year. Complete liability. Okay. So Jermaine Dye was one. Um, there's probably a lot of DHs who you think, oh, this guy mashes, but okay. Congratulations. Got no value in the field. Yeah. Matt Kemp, actually, a little bit. A little bit of Matt Kemp. Matt Kemp had one huge season, mm-hmm. and because he played a bad outfield in a, in a bad center field, and then his on-base dipped. So there's a bunch of guys like that. Interesting. Uh, Manny from the Raised by Wolves podcast has thoughts on Boogie Cousins and Timberwolves. The NBA, it's disintegrating. He's, he's going to come hang out, too, here for a little bit when we come back. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN.